Have you ever allowed your imagination to run wild about the world of work? To wonder what would happen if we tore up all the rules and started again? Welcome to What If, a podcast from the CIPD's work magazine that dares to ask the previously unthinkable. I'm Katie Jacobs, and in this episode, our focus is on working from home. What if, even in a post-COVID world, many of us continued to work from home forever? Clearly, there are plenty of jobs that require you to attend a place of work, but the proportion of UK employees working from home hit 46% at the height of the pandemic, sparking a national conversation about the positives and pitfalls of working life no longer being tied to a workplace. While some businesses have abandoned all rules about location, others, most notably banks and consultancies, believe that not being able to bring people together has damaged productivity and creativity. The CEO of Goldman Sachs notably called the trend an aberration, urging his staff back to the office. For most businesses, the future appears to be hybrid, a mix of working from home and in the office, with all the compromises that necessitates. So it feels like the right time to ask, is there anything so wrong with working from home? To help us unpack that one, we've been joined by Polita Clark, Financial Times journalist and commentator who writes about workplace trends and their link to corporate strategy. And Danny Harmer, Chief People Officer of the insurance giant Aviva, which has been vocal about giving people autonomy about where and how they work. I began by asking Polita to explain how she viewed the forced home working experiment many white-collar workers have experienced since early 2020 and where it leaves us in 2022. I think autonomy is going to be the big battleground in 2022 and probably beyond because there's no doubt that a lot of the management practices that existed before the pandemic were outdated and did need improvement. You know, this idea that we had this kind of mindless nine to five presenteeism in white collar offices is really wasn't very good for engendering productivity or employee loyalty. It had a range of other problems. Um, I do think that for many, many roles, it makes sense to allow workers to have much more freedom to decide when, where and how they work. The trouble is um, that There are definitely a lot of roles where you can easily create a sensible hybrid working pattern for your team, your immediate team. But when it comes to making sure that your team is collaborating with other teams in far-flung parts of the office or organisation, that actually doesn't work necessarily so well. Um, I'm not. So, I don't think it's impossible. I think it can be overcome, but I do think it requires so much management time and effort that companies are going to be really struggling to figure out how to do this. And I have to say, I'm quite influenced by a chief executive uh, or a founder of a tech company I interviewed fairly on in the pandemic, named Sid Sibrandi, who um, founded GitLab. He said very early on that he thought companies who had never had the experience of remote working, which at GitLab, you know, that before the pandemic, they were the uh, one of, if not the biggest remote, all remote working organisations in the world. So they were very used to having people who worked from home always. Anyway, he, he made the point to me that he thought that most large companies that tried hybrid working uh, or more remote working would fail because it took so much effort to do things that felt so unnatural if all you'd ever known was nine to five, Monday to Friday working patterns that 
that it just wouldn't be done. And I kind of, you know, I, I can see already in some organisations that he's absolutely right, that no matter um, that employers feel incredibly pressured to allow hybrid working, but they've never done it, they're not sure how to make it work, they haven't necessarily changed their management structures enough to, to help make it work. For example, you know, at GitLab they have a head of remote which sounds kind of crazy, but actually I think it's probably a really good idea to create a senior management position for someone whose job it is to sort of have an overview of how this really quite difficult logistical exercise should work. And someone who can keep in mind that, you know, hybrid working means everything from making sure that people holding meetings understand how the raised hand button on Zoom works to making sure there are different office layouts Zoom rooms that actually cater for enough people on enough of the days when people do come in and meeting rooms that feel safe enough for everybody to collaborate on the days that they come in and a raft of other things that, you know, really won't happen by themselves. We've already found that at the FT or we were finding it before (laughs) Omicron put paid to our latest efforts to, um, to introduce hybrid working, which we were, of course, like everybody else, hoping to do and still hope to do. But I think that there is this conflict that has emerged and is going to widen, I think, between people who understand autonomy to mean exactly that, that, well, you know, I'll decide which days I want to work, and managers and employers who are saying, well, you know, it's just not going to work like that and we have to mandate this. And there are other reasons to have mandatory days as well, or at least to have slightly more rigid rules about when and where people work. And, um, you know, the most obvious one is uh, really centering on um, fairness and equality because we know that studies have shown that people who work remotely are likely to be promoted at about half the rate of people in the office. And so, you know, you've got to try to make sure that managers at least are staying at home on certain days, I think, when otherwise the message that gets sent is that the important work is done by people in the office, not by people who aren't in the office for whatever reason. So there's a lot of concern about the idea that the people who are going to be staying at home are often going to be women with young children and they are the ones who are going to invariably end up Um, not getting promoted as much unless managers take care to really think hard about that and do something that's actually easier said than done, which is measuring output in a way that just looks at the the output of each person's job and ignores where that person is and whether you had a chat with them over coffee or bumped into them by the photocopier. You know, it's it's actually quite difficult to do that, I think. Like most organisations, Aviva has had to rethink its policies and practices. But although it has been relatively liberal in its attitudes towards working from home, Danny explains that she has come to realise a degree of structure is not only useful from an organisational perspective, but it's also something employees welcome. I do think with hybrid working, I mean, this has always been our position at Aviva, that actually you do need to put a framework around it. Leaving it totally up to individuals, I think, is a little unfair because most people come to work to do a great job and they want to understand what's what's expected of them, how it works around here, what the rules are. You know, it's one of the things about culture. Well, when you're all remote and suddenly you have something changed dramatically in the way that the organisation operates, 
people don't know what's okay around here and what works and they don't understand necessarily why the organization has the view it is why they're suggesting hybrid working so I don't think you can give too much information and guidance on this stuff. I think you have to give leaders loads of information and support on how to lead remotely and what the differences might be from how to run a remote meeting, hybrid meeting. You know, how how do you cope when someone isn't in the room and make them feel, you know, included? So, I, you know, certainly the, the, the position we took was we expect people to be in around three days a week for most of our roles. It, it depends on the role, right? We, we've had people doing sort of commercial client facing roles where for the last 30 years they've been out of the office, you know, 14 days out of 15. And that is still or, or will still be the case as we work through how, how they're going to interact with clients. But ultimately, if you are dealing with internal colleagues as your customers or talking to customers on the phone. How do you get a sense of community? How do you, what are the meetings that you need to be in for? I think one-to-ones face-to-face are definitely important. You know, regular one-to-ones face-to-face are really important. So giving people guidelines and um, a framework within which to operate, I think is only fair. The other thing that I worry about if you don't give people guidelines, is back to this point of potentially presenteeism. People think sort of thinking, well, they haven't told me what good looks like, so surely more is better than less, and therefore I'll I'll do the sort of you know five days. I think there's a, there's a risk of bias starting to creep in, and us you know organisations moving backwards on the sort of gender agenda because typically carers people who see themselves as primary carers rightly or wrongly in society tend to be women and if you see yourself as a primary carer taking out the commute and the travel can be really helpful but if we have a situation where organizations don't give guidance and therefore more carers who are more likely to be women spend more of their time at home and men make assumptions about being present more is an advantage and will help you progress, we go backwards on gender. And I just, I really worry that potentially organisations could kind of sleepwalk into that because they think, you know, most organisations think they're doing the right thing with the right intention. But the the unintended consequences of it, if I just, you know, kind of apply my logic, worry me. And I think we need to be looking around corners and checking that there doesn't seem to be a gender difference in office attendance. Gender equality then is a major factor in this debate, but it's not the only one. As Danny explains, there are real concerns about the effects of long-term homeworking on more junior employees. Sitting in their bedroom in a house share, how can they genuinely experience company culture and receive the -the on-the-job experience and support so vital to personal development? It's a question Polita is also pondering, but we'll hear from Danny first. My um, eldest daughter is at university at the moment and pretty much all her lectures and seminars have been remote, but they're going back to face to face. You hear the different experience she had of university. It just became very transactional. You know, that I am given information. I can look at it whenever I want. I have to use it and then apply it. But the whole environment of being around people on the same course as you and learning together and you know creating working groups and supporting each other with bits that you don't understand she wasn't getting any of that and it's the same in the workplace how do you learn what it is to do the job really well if you've never really seen anybody do it really well how do you learn how to create networks and find people who can help you and you can help if 
you're not having those sort of informal connections. So I think learning um, is a really big part of it. And then feeling like you belong to a community. We don't want work to be transactional because we want people to engage with the organisation and what it stands for and to bring beyond just the right. This is the narrow confines of your job and what we pay you for. We want them to go, do you know what? It would be better if, and these are the things that cause us challenges. And I could make the customer experience greater if, you know, we, we could make these changes. That people have to understand the whole kind of system and environment and community to do that. And I think work done remotely, purely remotely, is just so transactional because how do you see how you fit into it all? You know, I think a big part of the reason that remote office working worked is because uh, necessity is the mother of invention and we, we had to do it um, for, you know, for all the, all the reasons that we know. And that most of the people doing it were not new to office working and managed to apply their practices in a virtual way. You go, what would have happened if nobody knew how to do some of this stuff? And we're trying to learn how to do it remotely. I think we'd, we'd have seen a very different outcome. And there have been times just practically where talking to my team about something and I, you know, I sort of woefully gone, oh, my God, I just wish we were in a room with flip charts and pens, because I think it's really hard to visualize what we're all talking about and to build on each other's ideas. I don't think it's sustainable. I don't think it's about learning. I don't think it's about people belonging to communities. But there are lots of lots of benefits. I mean, it's it's just diabolical for younger people um, who've just joined an organisation. And it's quite interesting to think about this new generation of people who have come straight from a remote educational learning environment, which was hard enough. And then if they're lucky, they've been taken on into um, a fully paid job in an organisation where they're the only ones in the office. So I've spoken to so many young people who have been so frustrated and so sort of concerned about the fact that they just feel, you know, they're going in, it's really difficult to find someone, grab their attention, get them to help. And again, though, you know, this again comes back to the extra demands on managers who in many instances have been going above and beyond and trying to make sure that new hires are looked after and catered for and there's a a much more detailed and clever onboarding practice to to help people understand when they can contact people how they can shadow people even remotely um how can how they can learn the ropes how they can have dedicated one-on-one meetings for example with more senior workers uh, or more experienced colleagues who can talk them through so i think it's a real need to assign mentors to many more people um in a much more dedicated way uh, an intense way than was ever done before. And, you know, I, I think there's a tendency also, I would say, that we, in some organisations, by no means all, but in many organisations, there's been a tendency to look back at how onboarding um, of new colleagues was done in the past uh, through fairly rose-tinted glasses and this idea that people were always showing the ropes and uh, had everything explained to them fully is really not what happened in a lot of places. So, you know, again, I think, you know, if, if one's to be optimistic about it, one could say that the pandemic has done some organisations a favour by making them think more uh, clearly um, and intensely about how you actually make sure that people do understand what an organisation is like and how it works when they first join it. 
you know, I do think that whole idea of purpose was um, somewhat flawed uh, from the beginning. And what the pandemic has done is really put paid to this idea that we were supposed to be getting this tremendous amount, sense of fulfilment um, from work that often just really was not fulfilling. And so what we really were enjoying, um, it's become clearer and clearer, I think, uh, was we were enjoying interacting with friends and colleagues at work. You know, work was still where we were meeting our partners. Work was still a huge amount of um, our social life as well as our working life. So, you know, when you take that away, inevitably, of course, it's going to make you feel less connected to an organisation. It's a powerful argument, but there is a counter-narrative that the benefits of remote working, think well-being and diversity, to name but two, should outweigh the operational concerns of senior management. Our experts might not be so convinced, but there are plenty of converts out there. So I wanted to ask, what would actually be so wrong with working at home forever? I don't know the answer to that because I've never experienced it myself and I find it personally very difficult to believe that it's possible to feel as loyal to an organisation where you never physically meet somebody. I really do. But, you know, maybe that makes me part of the last century old guard or the pre-pandemic old guard, and maybe people are going to find that it is, in fact, possible. I mean, I I just can't believe it. I mean, I remember from last year having a conversation with someone who'd moved from a very large telecommunications company to another very large telecommunications company, and he was saying that, the person he felt closest to was actually an FT journalist who he'd spent more time talking to on Zoom than, than he had with, with any of his new colleagues. Um, this is fairly early on in the pandemic. But, you know, I think he'd done that because he knew my colleague at the FT. He'd met him in person. He'd been out to lunch with him. And, you know, there's something about a physical connection that's always going to matter more. So I do find it extremely difficult to think that employee loyalty is going to increase in an all-remote office. But, you know, maybe GitLab and and places like that would say that I'm completely wrong, and maybe in the tech world in particular that's wrong. You know, there are companies like Slack, for example, I interviewed their CEO recently, and, you know, they've really – he's perfectly happy to have everybody working remotely in many jobs a lot of the time, and he he thinks that there are just huge advantages – to uh, to remote working, and he's very keen, for example, to have, to make sure that managers who come into the office and stay at home make it clear that on the days that they're staying at home, that that's what you know they they are at home for one, two, or three days, and that's communicated very widely, so people don't think that they're under pressure to go into the office. So you know, it's I, I think it it very much depends on how well a company's leadership can communicate the idea that we're going to make special efforts to make sure that you feel as though you're belonging. And sometimes that might feel strange if you always work for a company that's not had much remote working. But, you know, again, you know, it's something that really has to be thought about very carefully. I think what good looks like is being in the place that enables you to get the best outcome for the customer, for your colleagues, for the business, for shareholders, and thinking about that in a sensible adult way, collaborating with your boss and your team about about how that works. I think there are some great things that have come out of it. I think people, you know, dragging themselves out of bed when they're sick and coming to work, I hope, is a thing of the past. 
I think socially it's almost unacceptable. And obviously I don't want people to feel like they're pariahs. But actually, if you're not well, you should be resting. <laughs> We've had a global experiment proving that and that if you're not well you can make other people sick again we've had two years proving that so i think there are there are some great things about people just considering health their health and the impact of their health on others which is great and i genuinely think the stigma of working from home no air apostrophes it's gone because everybody's proved that you can do it and it can be effective i think one of the watch outs for business especially those that have retail or customer facing along with office operations is that you don't end up with a sort of two-tier thing i mean at aviva you know our customer facing people in the main apart from the commercial teams are um are on the phone so they were able to, to operate from home but i mean you know but if you were banks or an airline or retail the people who face the customers and are creating the value for the organization and the experience that, that customers enjoy and means they choose to come to you as an organization you really don't want those people feeling like they're the ones who have to be in customer facing all the time and that, you know, there's some sort of weird head office ivory tower thing going on. So our organisations that are physically customer facing, I think, need to be really thoughtful about cultural implications of this for their for their business. It looks like we're moving from a place where working from home has been forced upon us to one where organisations will have to make their own decisions. Decisions that will no doubt impact on operations, profitability, recruitment and retention into the future. What is clear, though, is that a dogmatic approach, either in favour of or in opposition to working from home, is no substitute for asking your employees or for looking at the evidence. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to the What If podcast, brought to you by the CIPD's Work magazine. To find out more about how the CIPD is dedicated to better work and working lives, visit cipd.co.uk. And don't forget to check out the rest of the What If series from your podcast provider or the peoplemanagement.co.uk website.